The Moment has arrived. I'm Tom Dickinson, and you are listening to another episode of The Moment, a podcast about Doctor Who. On every episode of this podcast, I extend an invitation to a different guest who happens to be a fan of Doctor Who, and I ask that guest to tell me about a moment from an episode of Doctor Who that means a lot to them or that they have a lot of thoughts about that they'd like to share. This week, I've invited my friend Adrian Enderley, a New York City-based writer and film-slash-TV production professional. When I spoke with Adrian way back in March of 2020, back in the first couple weeks of the pandemic, she selected a moment from The Big Bang, the series finale of Matt Smith's first series as The Doctor in 2010. In that episode, the Doctor and friends find themselves in a situation so dire that the Doctor has to reboot the entire universe, with the nasty side effect that in the newly rebooted universe, he, the Doctor, will be wiped from all existence and memory. As the old universe is rewritten into the new one, the Doctor begins to experience the recent events of his life in reverse order, ultimately revisiting the events of the Series 5 premiere, The Eleventh Hour. On that night, he had left seven-year-old Amelia Pond waiting in her back garden for him to show up, but he never arrived. Here now at last, he takes the sleeping Amelia into her bedroom and begins to tell her a story. And that is when Adrian's moment happens. So in The Big Bang, the Doctor is reliving moments of his past life as the universe tries to reboot around him. When you wake up. Uh, but he's being erased. You'll have a mum and dad. And he's sitting in young Amelia Pond's bedroom as she's sleeping. And you won't even remember me. Talking to well, her about... You remember me a little. What, how life is rebooting and how he's... I'll be a story in your head. Uh, gonna be fading away. That's okay. He says that... We're all stories in the end. We're all stories in the end. Just make it a good one, eh? He also says, let's make it a good one, eh? But that one doesn't like doesn't apply too much to my moment as just the line, we're all stories in the end. And then, of course, we find out later that he had been saying all of this so she could bring him back. Uh, because as he says in the Pandorica Opens... Nothing is ever forgotten, not completely. If something's remembered, it can be brought back. if something can be remembered, it can come back. So uh, why did you pick this moment? It just, it really spoke to me the first time I watched that episode, both as someone who's a writer and also loves stories in general, how we really are all stories because when you're gone, memories of you will be passed along either by someone telling a story that you were in or by, you know, if someone picks up, like say you keep a journal, like sometimes people keep journals so that there's a record of their life and then that's a story. You know, that's how memory of you gets passed along. Do you feel like you are a story? Yeah. I mean, everyone wants to believe that they're the the protagonist. No one ever wants to think that they're the side character. They all, they all to you, you are your main hero of a story. And so obviously you're going to be doing things like I, I keep a journal and wonder, you know, who will read it. So I, yeah, I would like to think that we're all, like he says, we're all stories. We all have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Hopefully that it's you know, a very long middle. And you just try to make the best of of your plot. <laughs> mm-hmm. Why do you think Doctor Who is so interested in themes of storytelling and stories? Because this isn't the only uh, episode that has, you know, references to the characters being stories. The, like, for instance, perhaps we will both be stories. Uh, Robot or Sherwood. And may those stories 
never end. Um, last Christmas. I've always believed in Santa Claus. The, the doctor being uh, like in a long percent. He looks a little different to me. Why do you think that's something that Doctor Who is so interested in? Well, I mean, I think all forms of, of media, books, film, television, they all understand the impact of story. And then obviously a show like Doctor Who understands the impact that it has had on people. I mean, Stephen Moffat was a lifelong fan. And so I feel like I just keep coming back to the fact that they keep always making it like how all the stories you hear about the doctor. Well, I think, I think you're, you're definitely right in that. That's like constantly being talked about. Martha walks the earth. And everywhere I went, I found the people and I told them my story. Telling stories about the doctor. And that's, I told them about the doctor. That's how they eventually defeat the master in um, last of the time Lords. And right. The Doctor sometimes, like, brags about his own story. Like, uh, in the first episode of this season, it's the Doctor on the rooftop in the Atraxi, and he's like, Hello, I'm the Doctor. Like, you know, look look me up, and that's basically how he, he beats the bad guy in that one. He just brags about his own story. Basically. Run. Well, I also think of the, the two that just came to my mind are um, the hybrid, the story about the hybrid. Mm. You broke in here. The Wraith spoke to you about the hybrid. Why did that story make you so scared? I don't know. I don't remember it. Uh, and then also in... How did it end up in there? You know fairy tales. Pandora opens. A good wizard tricked it. <laughs> River says... I hate good wizards and fairy tales. They always turn out to be him. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a lot of importance on story because there's so many stories about the Doctor because he is such like a big larger than life fairy tale figure. I wonder if part of that is because um Moffat and Davies and Chibnall all grew up on stories about the doctor and that kind of like impacted the trajectory of their lives and careers so much. Almost definitely. I think that growing up as a fan of something, everything about it is just large in your mind. And so then they had the opportunity to work on it and mm. and come to it with like a certain reverence. Of I'm working on this show that I love so much. I'm working on this show that meant so much to me. How do I show that? How do I bring that joy to the character that brought me so much joy? Yeah, and I think I think you can kind of see that in Amy as a character who kind of grows up as a Doctor Who fan. Right, yes, exactly. With her her makeshift action figures and making Rory cosplay as their acting well, doctor. How could he be real? He was never real. Phone, now. Gimme. It was just a game. We were, we were kids. You made me dress up as him. These folks. No, yeah, most funny. definitely. She, she grew up a fangirl of the Doctor. He had such a big impact on her life, even when he was just an imaginary figure. And then all the way through the end of what her life became. One of the things that, that the doctor is trying to do here in this scene is to like plant some ideas in her head. Um, do you think that we're all stories in the end, uh, make it a good one, has a lasting effect on how Amy lives her life? I think so. Because when you think about it, so whenever we leave Amy, she's stuck in the past in New York City, and she becomes a writer. Afterward, by Amelia Williams. Mm. She's a writer. Hello, old friend. And here we are, you and me, we even know that on the last page. Clara Oswald has read her books by Amelia Williams. What chapter are you on? Ten. Eleven is your best. You'll cry your eyes out. That's so weird Party. to think about. Yeah. She she becomes a writer, and she and Rory, they end up adopting kids. They We finally adopted in 1946. They took in children. They, Anthony Brian Williams. To me, I think they lived their life to the fullest, the way they could, where they were. But definitely, I think her being a writer definitely is a has a major impact. I'm curious because I know 
clearly this line where all stories in the end has a has a pretty big impact on you. Is that a way of thinking that you that kind of resonated with you because it was already how you looked at life when you watched Doctor Who? Or is it something that Doctor Who has planted that seed in your mind? Honestly, what really comes to my mind, I might get kind of emotional here. Um, what comes to my mind with that line is I think about um, I didn't know my grandparents on my mother's side. And all I have of them as stories, particularly of my grandmother, just hearing my mom tell stories about her or uh, we would go visit, you know, my mom's family and they would tell really goofy stories just like or nothing but just like funny moments to them that that had to do with my grandmother, or my grandfather. Or they would just, you know, you're, you're telling stories and I'm, I'm that's how I know those important people to me is that is from the stories that are told about them. And so a lot of times when I hear that line, I think of my grandmother and how what I know of her comes from stories. Yeah, that and that it, this is a very different kind of situation, but it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of how everyone in Amy's life knows the Raggedy Doctor mm-hmm. to the point where in the 11th hour, the I random older you. neighbor lady, yeah. I know you, don't I? I mean, recognizes <laughs> Matt Smith as the Raggedy Smart. Doctor. Are you the doctor? I love that. He is, isn't he? He's the doctor. The Raggedy Doctor. All those cartoons you did when you were little. Even though the none of them have met him except for, you know, Amy. Just that story that she she told. And I presume she probably came up with other, like, headcanons and fanfics about about the Doctor. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. They, she probably had Rory being like, okay, so now you're going to take me off here. Because that's what he said. He was going to take – we were going to go off on an adventure. So we're going to go on this adventure today. We're going to go to the duck pond where there aren't any ducks. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. There's not any ducks. And how do you know it's a duck pond? Do, do you think <laughs> that um, your interest in the power of stories has affected um, – this is this is almost going to sound like kind of an obvious question. Okay. But do you think that's affected your life? Because I know, I know you work in film and television production and I know you're also a writer. Oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm curious to know how do you think that's impacted you and what you do in – in your work and in your hobbies? I grew up, my mother was a professional storyteller for the Storytellers Guild in Houston. She is a writer as well. So I grew up around stories being created. So that's always been a big thing for me. And then also she's a, she loves stories too. So she was constantly reading to me and we would watch TV together and go see films. It's a huge thing that she and I share is our love of, of stories and we have similar taste in that. So like when I was younger, I wanted to be a writer and I also wanted to be an actress. No matter what, I wanted to tell stories in some sort of way. And then I realized that I didn't want to struggle to be an actress. So then I got into more behind the scenes type work. Although fun fact, which kind of goes with this, is there was a period of time in college where I wanted to be an archaeologist, which when you think about it, also has to do with stories. (laughs) There are so many theories about you and I, you know. I'd gossip. Archaeology. Same thing. (laughs) Because you're learning about the past and what happened in the past. Yeah. Sorry, that just came to me. Yeah, so I always wanted to be a writer. I always loved media in general and the stories that are told in it. And so the fact that I write today and that I also take part in some small way of putting stories on television and camera uh, in general is just really, really fun. I like that. I like that we are entertaining. I like the idea of someone taking time to enjoy what I've created. Like there's sometimes where you, your job gets put into perspective. Um, my sister works for the government. And so one day I was having a really stressful day at work and it was just like in a bad mood. And then she talked about how she had to like go to a meeting at the Pentagon or something. And I was like, well, that really put my life into perspective. But at the same time, like I think to myself, what we do is also important in that 
we bring people together to watch something or to to make them laugh to make them cry whatever it's you know if uh, at the time i think i was working on gotham the show gotham and it's like well you know 45 change minutes a week people are sitting and watching the show and enjoying it and that's not nothing yeah yeah i i, I don't know when this episode is going to be released but you know as we're recording it we're in the midst of you know a global pandemic that has a lot of people confined to their houses and one of the things that i've, I've definitely noticed on social media is everyone is talking about the stories they're consuming and the stories they're recommending to other people and that's always happening on social media but now more than ever i think a lot of people are clinging to that oh yeah you need some sort of escape because let's be honest, sometimes stories are just an escape for you, um, which is not a bad thing. It's a way for you to cope with real life. And right now, people are going to be struggling to cope and stories are going to play a huge impact in keeping people sane and keeping people, keeping from going crazy, worrying. So you need books, you need Netflix, you need hard DVDs, you need whatever you can to distract yourself or to keep yourself going while the world turns upside down on you. Because this moment is talking about stories and the importance of them and, and the way they intersect with our lives, I'm curious to know what are the stories, what are the Doctor Who stories, and maybe Pandora opens in Big Bang or one of them, but what are the Doctor Who stories that you feel have the most you know, impact and relevance on, on your life? The funny thing is, is about those episodes is it's really only that one line that gets me. Hmm. They're good episodes. I like the episodes. I enjoyed them. I rewatched them. I love them. They're great. I think they, they hold up better than almost any other uh, Moffat finales. Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. With, with the exception of Hellbent, which is my favorite. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. No, fair. <laughs> fair. So the ones that really, I think, have made an impact on me, I think the first episode I ever watched was Girl in the Fireplace. Monsieur, what are you doing in my fireplace? Oh, it's just a routine fire check. Can you tell me what year it is? Back of course sci-fi. I can had a marathon of the little David Tennant they had at the time. And I ended up watching it because my mom loved the show. And I was like, what is she talking about? So I have to say girl in the fireplace. I'm going to say Van G- the uh, Vincent and the doctor. There we go. Just because I just think it's a beautiful episode. You've turned out to be the first doctor ever actually to make a difference to my life. I'm delighted. I won't ever forget you. <laughs> it also talks about the impact someone can have without knowing it. And some of my favorite episodes are just goofy ones. Like, I love The Lodger. Mm. Like, that one just makes me laugh. There's that! It's all. A statement on modern society. Ooh! Ain't modern society awful? <clears throat> me and you, it's not going to work out. You've only been here three days. It'll be the three weirdest days of my life. Your days will get a lot weirder. I've heard, I know I've heard you say before that The 11th Doctor is your favorite. Is that right? Yes. Why, why is that? I love the physicality to him. Really, I feel like Matt Smith's really good at playing those little physical moments. It always seems like he doesn't has control of his body, but yet you know he has every ounce of control over his ridiculous limbs flying everywhere. Mm. I like that he's he's rather weird and goofy and alien compared to, you know, we had David Tennant who was very, had more of a um, human-like reactions to things, I guess you could say. Uh, but Matt Smith's just I goofy. I need, I need, I need fish fingers and custard. I like how well he plays the I'm being really funny and awkward right now. But then he immediately goes to those just like dramatic, dark moments where you're like, oh, no, you, I believe you are a thousand years old with a lot of pain. It's insane. And there's a lot of range that Matt Smith has in that role that I really enjoy. Also, I'm sorry, but bow ties are cool. Yeah, it's cool. Bow ties are cool. Are you from another planet? Yeah. 
Okay. I remember um, his very first episode, the 11th hour, when he's with young Amelia, there's a moment where he wants to listen in on the crack in, in her wall. Sometimes, can you hear? The voice. Yes. So he takes a glass of water and then tosses the water, the water tosses the water over his shoulder and then immediately does like a double take like looks back at the water like oh wait what what did i just do oh wait and then like immediately gets back on task prisoner zero prisoner zero has escaped and that was the moment when i knew Try. that like his physicality was gonna like oh we're in good hands he's he has a take on what to do with this character yeah it, and it's those small moments that you don't necessarily realize are there, but when you rewatch it, you're like, oh my god, that's hilarious. I, I don't know what else to say other than I just feel like the physicality of the Doctor is so great in those moments. And then that, the fact that you have such a talented actor as Matt Smith, who was so young at the time, yet could play so old. What can I say? He's my doctor. Mm. That's all I can really say. So I, I know you mentioned that the moment itself that you're interested in the most is the line, we're all stories in the end, and then mm-hmm. make it a good one is, is is kind of less of what you're interested in. But I'm curious to know what you think it means to make it a good one. To, how do you make yourself a good story? I think to make yourself a good story, you need to live your life to the fullest, whatever that entails. Whatever living your life to the fullest entails for you, because obviously, like some people, that's like, oh, I'm going to go jump out of a plane. And it's like, no, not for me. I'm going to go, you know, sit over here and just read an entire library. I think it's you need to be proud of what your story is. I think if you do stuff that makes you proud, you do stuff that leaves a good impact on the people around you. It doesn't have to be, you know, the whole world, but at least your small corner of it then I think that's a good story. How do you think you're doing on that? Ooh. I'm sorry if that's too personal, but I'm curious. No, 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 no. It's fine. Um, I like to think I'm doing well. I wish there's more I could do. You know, everyone has their limitations, mm. but I like to think that I'm doing a good one. I enjoy where I am in life. I mean, obviously everyone has like, you know, wishes they were a little further along in something, but I have amazing friends. I have a caring family. I enjoy my work. I enjoy that I'm allowed to do what I can do and make a living off of it. I live in New York City. I never thought growing up, for some reason in my head, I just never really thought about living in New York City. Mm. And yet now I do. And I basically, I look back on if I met, you know, okay, so like in the Big Bang, Amy meets seven-year-old Amelia, right? Okay, kid. This is where it gets complicated. Yeah, yeah. So if I like went back in time and met seven-year-old Adrian and I said, hey, you live in New York City. You've worked with famous people to a degree. You have been involved in these projects. You take time to write. You have a just amazing supportive group of friends. I, I think that young Adrian would be shocked and delighted and couldn't wait to be 29-year-old Adrian. <laughs> That's kind of how um, how Amy frames it in The Angels Take Manhattan in her letter to the doctor. And do one more thing for me. Go tell this seven-year-old version, Amelia Pond. There's a little girl waiting in a garden. She's going to wait a long while, so she's going to need a lot of hope. About Go to all her. of the different things. Tell her a story. That she's going to do. Tell her that if she's patient, 
The days are coming that she'll never forget. Mm-hmm. And I think of that myself sometimes, like whether this this line where all stories in the end make it a good one. I sometimes think about like whether I am making my own story a good one. Mm-hmm. And I think there there have been long stretches of my life where my story was not the kind of story I'd be interested to hear. Right. I think I'm doing better now, though. And I definitely I felt that as well as someone who's I, I'm just going to be kidding. I suffer from depression and I have since I was really, really little. Mm-hmm. So there have definitely been times where I haven't enjoyed what was happening around me. And I actually clung to things. Like I, I was always obsessed with things. I was always obsessed with Harry Potter. I was always obsessed with Monty Python. I became obsessed with the Beatles. And a lot of these things were coping mechanisms because there was something missing in my own life. Not that there really was anything missing. It was just, you know, depression or, or anxiety or whatnot. But I clung to the things that made me happy. And I think that's also why I have such a high regard for stories and books and TV, films and music is because I've benefited from them in times of need. And I know others do too. And I, so I think we all can agree that there have been times in our lives where we haven't enjoyed that particular chapter or that particular page. And you just have to do what you can to make the next one better. Um, to completely uh, switch tracks here. <laughs> Tell me about how you became a Doctor Who fan at first. I know you mentioned before that you had watched on the sci-fi channel. What whenabouts was that? I, my first remembrance of Doctor Who is my mother watched Christopher Eccleston when he was airing here in the U.S. for the first time on sci-fi. And I specifically remember being in the car with her and her trying to explain the empty child doctor dances and also Father's Day. And I just remember her talking about kids in gas masks saying, are you my mummy? Who is this? Who's speaking? Are you my mummy? But then also talking about Rose causing a paradox Rose, there's a man alive in the world who wasn't alive before an ordinary man that's the most important thing in creation by trying the to whole- save her father and i think i looked at her and i went what the hell are you talking about <laughs> yeah there was a saturday where they were airing some of the most recent tenant episodes which at the time was season two so i think i sat and i watched tooth and claw girl in the fireplace and school reunion and uh yeah, it just went from there. Just so 2000, 2006, that was my big year. Hmm. I was about 16, 17 years old and just became obsessed. My poor mother probably didn't know what she was getting herself into because all of a sudden it was, let's, you know, check out different serials from the library of the classic doctors just because we wanted to get a sense of what all the different doctors were. Mm. We weren't going to completely dive into classic because we were like, there's no way we can do that. I th- we did cheat. We watched The Five Doctors. I'm sorry, sir. You're not allowed in there. Not allowed? Me? I'm allowed everywhere. Oh, there's no cheating. Okay. So, like, that was our moment of Troughton. But, yeah, but we, we watched a serial of each just to get a sense of where the show had come from. Is she still into it today? Uh, she doesn't watch it anymore. But she did watch last night We uh, to prepare for this. I should say I'm home in Texas right now with my family during this crazy time. But we watched The Pandora Opens and The Big Bang. And she sat and watched it with me. And she was laughing. And, and we were talking about it. And she was talking about how much she loved, like, Tennant and Smith. Mm. But she doesn't really watch it anymore. I keep... You know, saying stuff like, oh, my God, this season was so good. Or, oh, my God, they saw Mary Shelley this season. Oh, didn't I? And Mary, Wollstonecraft Godwin, soon to be Shelley, screamed in your face. Quality historical experience. That gold. 
yeah, that Mary Shelley episode is actually another good example of like Doctor Who talking about the power of stories. Mm-hmm. There's like even a thing about like, oh, well, this is just one guy. What if he goes away? And it's like, no, but actually the power of the... His thoughts, his words inspire and influence thousands for centuries. If he dies now, who knows what damage that will have on future history? You know, people who write stories, people who write poetry and literature. Right. Words matter. That reverberates throughout the universe. Oh, yeah. The power of art, just, you know, whether it's something that inspires you or or teaches you. Just any, like, yeah, it's just, you know, butterfly effect. You could definitely say that Percy Shelley was a big influence on a lot of people. Do you have anything else that you wanted to say about the moment? I think that that moment is probably not only important to me because of what the line actually is, even though that is a lot of it is literally just the line. But I think also the timing in which the doctor is saying it. Hmm. And it's as he could be going out for good. We're all stories in the end. Because to him, even though he's trying to plant those seeds, this actually could be the end for him. And him saying for her to just make it a good one is him not only saying to make his story a good one, but also make yours good too. Mm. It makes it hit harder. When he says it, It's the, he, it could be his end. His story could be ending. And he knows that the story is now in her hands as to where it goes. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that I love about the moment. The notion that it's in your hands now. I feel like there's a, there's a certain autobiographical element to the way Moffat writes Amy. Amy, in some ways, is a Moffat stand-in. Well, she's Scottish, uh, for one thing. <laughs> but also, like she is, she's the Doctor Who fan who, through remembering Doctor Who, I remember! brings it back when it's canceled. I brought the others back. I can bring you home, too. Mm-hmm. Raggedy man, I remember you, and you are life for my the same is true of Martha in Last of the Time Lords, the notion of like, if the people to whom the Doctor is most dear can remember him and tell his story. And I told them to pass it on, to spread the word so that everyone would know about the Doctor. And, and you know, keep it alive in their hearts, then even when even when it's gone, they have the power to bring it back. This is the life story of the, of the people who make Doctor Who. It's, mm. it's all Doctor Who fans who make it. And this is why Doctor Who even exists. Why that story is, is around for us is because they remembered the Doctor and whatever can be remembered can be brought back yeah it's it's very true that that she she definitely does seem to be a stand-in for Moffat and I think that Doctor Who has technically since Rusty Davies it's been fan fiction that's just been on BBC and fan fiction it doesn't matter if it's on the BBC or not I find it legitimate and so obviously you're gonna have that character you always insert yourself in as as much as authors say they don't do that they do they always do no I definitely think that that Amy is sort of a, uh, a stand-in for him. It's definitely true, and I'm also now going to believe that Stephen Moffat wishes he was a leggy redhead. Uh- <laughs> and that concludes the moment for this week. Thanks to Adrian for joining me on this episode of The Moment. Adrian, as I said, works in film and TV, including the show Gotham and the upcoming film Tick, Tick, Boom, and many other film and TV productions besides. You can find Adrian on Twitter at AlwaysAdrian, that's the word always, and then the name Adrian, spelled A-D-R-I-E-N-N-E. You can use your web browser to visit themomentpond.com if you'd like to find back episodes, show notes, and the like. You can follow the show on Twitter or Insta at themomentpond, and you can support the show with money over at patreon.com slash themomentpond. There's only one episode left of season three of The Moment, but you sure can support that one episode over at that one Patreon. I'm Tom Dickinson, and I'll be back in a moment. <laughs>